0: Just go to cars.com. It's magical. You're listening to the Patriot Nation podcast, presented by Pat's Pulpit.
1: All right, welcome to the Patriot Nation podcast. We are joined by an incredibly special guest. He is a staff writer for SB Nation, but I mean, we all know him. We love him here at Pat's Pulpit. Mark Schofield, the former host of the Sco Show, Sco Show Slack channel. We love the guy. Mark, thanks for coming on, man. We appreciate having you. What's
2: going on, friends? It's uh, it's great to be here. Uh, Pat, you and I have been on some shows before. This is actually the first time Matt and I have talked, even though we've known each other for years, it seems like. We were talking before the show, it's like... It's the first time we've done anything together but we've been communicating via slack or text or you know had the pylon yeah, since the <laughs> ITP days so it's yeah it's, I've known you guys both for a very very long time this feels like a homecoming uh excited to be here I know we got a lot to dive in so I'm not I'm gonna kind of shut up for a second here and
0: <laughs> get rolling I wish we should have had a, a Africa intro for this one uh to be know, missed that opportunity.
2: there's a bears podcast. Uh, the, the Tape Never Lies Network, TTLN. And they do, I was on with them last week to talk about Justin Fields. And they have like an entire like theme song with Africa, but it's like with my name woven into it. It's got, like, <laughs> photos of me from like back when I was, they dug up some photos of me playing college football. Like unreal. It, it's, it's unreal. Like, and I've, this is the first time when I was on with them last week that I've been on with them in like over a year and I've forgotten it. And, like they hit me with it I was just like whoa this is kind of cool hey there's <laughs> me playing football so yeah so that's it, great people have done that
1: I love that that's so good so good it's it's pretty cool that you're like known by like one thing like Damn. anytime I hear that song we come on always out like, of
2: smart? At it, pat like there are worse brands to have that's I very think. true I mean, and I'm I'm sure. Look, there's you know people who probably know me for other reasons and refer to me in different ways, but for most people, I'm the total Africa guy, and I'm kind of okay with that.
1: Yeah, that's great. That's great. I love it. Like I said, I hear that song and I'm like, oh, Mark. I mean, my
2: favorite thing, and we're totally already derailing the show. Are are like the Sunday mornings when I like wake up and text and check my phone. And people will like, have DM'd me like, hey, I was at karaoke last night and we did we did Africa. Or so Bird good. one time sent me a video from a wedding uh, where the entire like wedding party was dancing to Africa. Which <laughs> there was also a night, and I'm going to keep this person's identity um, anonymous, where apparently the song was requested by somebody at a bar and people fought back and said they didn't want it to get played. And it actually started a fight. And so what? I woke up one night to a DM from a member of football media saying, hey, I was at a bar, and there was a bar fight because of Toto's Africa.
1: That's Africa, unbelievable.
2: Um, and I thought you should know that, which I thought was a tremendous
0: story. I'm not going to
1: say who it was. It's
0: a great story. He
2: or, he, or she, he or she, I'm going to keep their name anonymous, uh, but it was a pretty
0: cool story. That's I love amazing. it. Now, I just before we get to the Patriots, I, I will say it's not my favorite Toto song. I'm, I'm a hold the line kind of guy.
2: yeah. Um, see, a lot of people say um, that hold the line uh, is one of their favorites. Interestingly enough, I think my favorite is actually Pamela, it's probably my favorite Toto song. Um, there's also Won't Hold Back by Toto. Um, I think it's Won't Hold You Back is another to- uh, favorite song of mine by Toto Pamela. Um, but yeah, I mean, the great, then haven't seen them live is that they totally know like they do this they do this incredible medley because these guys were like you know session musicians for so many different artists and in the middle of their concert they like do this medley of stuff they've contributed with and a lot of it's like michael jackson and other stuff um and everybody's just kind of like yeah you know this is cool and then right at the end lead center gets up and says, like, all right everybody stand up this is why you came and they start doing africa and everybody just goes nuts um, because that's the song that obviously everybody knows the most, but Great. I will hold you back and Pamela. Are probably my two favorites.
0: I'm going to have to dig deep into the Toto discography after this one.
2: Yeah. Yeah. They've got, they've got some songs like I'm trying to um, there's one that's based on this like play and I'm going to have to look it up when I get a chance, but it's about like the, this guy that escapes from prison and people think that he's like the coming, coming of Jesus, the second coming of Jesus and so they wrote a song based about that. And I'm trying to, rem- I'm blanking on the name of it. They've got a really deep catalog. And, and then, of course, there's all the stuff that they contributed to, a lot of Michael Jackson stuff and other stuff, which is really cool. Like I said, that interlude, that sort of segment in the middle of their concert is pretty cool. Yes, this is tonight's episode of Total Softwalks. Walks. Uh, thank you, everybody, <laughs> for tuning in. Uh, we're going to go 40 minutes now on uh, just <laughs> the genesis of Africa. Um, but yeah, it's a pretty deep catalog.
1: I was gonna, I was gonna try to come up with some sort of Wizard of Oz way to, you know, to usher us into Patreon. It's, it's a tough yeah, segue to make that.
2: It's a tough. segue got nothing.
1: I got nothing. I was like, oh, Toto was the dog in Wizard of Oz. Maybe we'll make some over the rainbow, you know, type of thing. But here we are. Nevertheless, uh, we are. We we'll, we're not in that anymore. Uh, Dark blue gold. <laughs> so I, I will. Here's what I'll say. Okay we are get into the Patriots stuff into the dandy gritty. This is why you tuned in. Although maybe you tuned in for the Toto stuff. I don't know. It's possible. You know, Mark's here. You know, like what the heck, right? So um Patriots are five and four, heading into the bye, up and down. Some good, some bad, some not so good. Um, you know, and and we'll kind of we'll get into all of it. Uh what are your impressions of this team though? Kind of overall, what are your impressions of the team after nine games and uh you know about halfway through the season?
2: I mean, my main impression my impression is they've sort of figured out two of the big three things that you need to figure out as an NFL team. They've figured out their run game identity over the past couple of weeks. Um, you know, I was sort of getting ready for the show today, and I was taking a look at some numbers. You know, this is a team that we heard so much in the summer, so much in the offseason, outside zone, wide zone, all that stuff. And week one, they ran it nine times. Outside zone according to SIS, which was second most in the league through the first week. And they've run it just 24 times since, 27th in the league. Now in that first week, they're in five inside zone plays, you know, which was like middle of the pack, 65 since then, second most in the league. Like they figured out sort of all right, that outside zone, wide zone, run game, run scheme. We'll still have in the playbook. We'll still run it a little bit, but we're more of an inside zone team, we're more of a gap power team. Like that's where they are sort of with their offensive run game identity. So they've figured that out. You know, they've kind of figured out what they are defensively, right? They're a team that can pressure you. You know, they pressure opposing passers, second most in the league in terms of drop back percentage where they get pressure. And they don't have to rely on the blitz. Like their blitz rate is middle of the pack. They've got guys, certainly Matthew Judon, Josh Uche with the three sacks last week, Dietrich Wise, who was taking on a big role as well. They can get pressure with four. They will blitz at times you know but they will get pressure with four they can get pressure with four which is a huge thing to have in today's nfl it allows you to do so much in the secondary with numbers you know it's the old adage if you can get pressure with four you're going to be in good shape they've got that so they've figured out those two things the thing they still have to sort of figure out and unfortunately this might be the most important part what's their pass game identity and it's something that you know, you watch that game against Indianapolis and it's something you can tell they're sort of still struggling with, are they a vertical passing team? Are they a spread quick game passing team? Are they an under center play action passing team? Like they're still trying to fuse together these different schools of thoughts to figure out where they want to be, what do they do best? And I think, you know, can sort of bring us back to the summertime discussion of with the talent you have in this roster, with the, the players and the skill sets you have in this passing game, what is it that's going to get everybody to play their best? Because, you know, watching Mac Jones last year, watching Mac Jones in college, watching Mac Jones on Sunday, I feel like he's perhaps best suited for a spread shotgun-based quick passing game. Let him spread it out; that's where he seems most comfortable. I'm not sure that fits with the receiver core around him, and so they're struggling to find that identity. Maybe over the bye week. They take a chance to sort of sit back, reevaluate everything, look at, you know, Jones and the games that he's played, look at the entirety of this offense, you know, through the first nine weeks of the season and figure out what it is they're going to be in the passing game. But that's the big component that they have to figure out as we get into the second half of the season. So overall, look, they're five and four, you know, they're in the mix, which I think we would all would have taken back in the summer, especially, you know, right before the season started with everything we were hearing about this team and everything we saw with our own eyes, you know, the Vegas training camp, preseason game, joint practices, the Carolina joint practices, Carolina preseason game. If you would have told me that still would have been five and four, just basically like one or two games out. And I would have said fine because the team I saw then I was like, man, we're going to be like six games out of it by the bye.
0: Especially if you then add in the caveat that Mac is going to be injured for parts of that Yeah, I mean,
2: that's the other thing, Matt. Like, if you had told me back in August that, hey, Bailey Zappi is going to start two games before the bye out of necessity and injury, not because, you know, you're blowing teams out or whatever. I said, oh, man, this is going to be bad. This is going to be bad. Um, But, you know, Zappi fever was legitimate in the sense that they won two games with him at the helm. They really could have won three. You know, if you look back at that Packers game, they could have won that game. They probably were a little bit too conservative. I know, you know, you guys would probably agree with some of that in in that game. They had a chance to win it. Um, But the fact that, look, they won two games with Zappi, you know, they might have found a backup spot starter in this kid to pick. Didn't surprise me when it happened. I wrote about it in the moment. Um, So, yeah, I mean, a lot of good things have happened. But unfortunately, they still have this one sort of big question to resolve.
1: That Packers that Packers game, just like the Cowboys game from last year, where you're in overtime, yeah. Yeah. and it's like you know you, you got an explosive offense on the other side of the field, and sure they're not playing well. I mean, Packers offense, uh, the Cowboys offense played well last year, but like, sure the Packers aren't playing well, but it's like if they get the ball back, you're losing the game. Like you just you know you're going to lose, and when they punted, just like when they played Dallas last year, I'm yeah. like, oh, they lost. Like you knew the second they punted, the game was over, and you know it just. It's one of those things, and listen, I mean, it took the Packers sixty-nine minutes to beat the Patriots. So, like, from that perspective, I'm like, okay, you know, that's not bad. But then, the Packers kind of suck. So, like, it's really not, you know, it doesn't make you and feel as good. Still, as
2: a loss, right? Like, right. The, the bottom line is this: like, it's not like you get quality losses. You know, you're right. not going to get points, in, or it's not going to pr- impress the voters. A quality right. loss, it's still exactly. a loss, and they had an opportunity to win that game, and. You know, the more we watch this game and study this game and think about this game, I'm growing more of the mindset that if you're going to lose, go down being aggressive. Like, right? mm-hmm. go down being aggressive. Like, if you lost because you couldn't get a stop, you know. And if there's also this idea that, look, you know, we're going to punt it away because we trust our defense. If you trust your defense, go for it. Right. Go for yeah. it. For
0: it down. Like,
2: if yeah. you trust the defense to make a play so much so that you're willing to give them the ball to begin with. What is the difference if you're giving it to him at the 50 or if you're giving it to him at the 30? Well, right.
0: My, I think my argument at the time was basically that it felt like they trusted Marcus Jones to get yards in the return game more than they trusted the offense to actually pick up yards. It yeah. felt like it was better to force a punt and try to return something into field goal range than to actually run the offense.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's probably something to be said. And, you know, I, I it, it's also fair to give the context of – they're down to their third string quarterback who's a rookie who they probably weren't expecting to have to play. And the playbook was extremely limited at that point. And so maybe they thought, you know, we don't have really a a play that we're comfortable calling slash he's comfortable running for this situation. Let's see if we can get a stop. I mean, maybe yeah. that was the thought process. But again, I, I'm maybe it's just me getting old, but I'm of the mindset now. Go down, Swinon.
1: Right. Well, on Dark Blue Gold's asking about, you know, have they been noticeably been more conservative post Brady? And I'll tell you, like, I think in 2019, I go back to 2019 when they were incredibly conservative then with Brady. And I think that they've absolutely been way more conservative than I would like to see. Now, they did go for it twice on fourth down in New York, which I was happy. I was really happy to see them do that. I thought that, you know, they didn't pick up the first one. They picked up the next one, obviously. But like Those are the types of things you have to do. And Belichick has always kind of done those things. And for some reason, I almost thought, and I said on a podcast, you know, a year or two ago that like, maybe, maybe he's zigging while the rest of the league zags, everyone's getting super aggressive and he's thinking, well, that's, that's based on if I'm aggressive too. So if I'm conservative and you're aggressive, then your aggressiveness will hurt you because and like. I don't know if that actually does anything or not, but like to me, I would love to see him be a a heck of a lot more aggressive than I've seen him be the last few years.
2: Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, in in our sort of Patriot-centric patriot view of the world, right, this is not the case, but as Patriots fans, we probably believe in our heart of hearts that the whole aggression on fourth down began with Belichick against the Colts on that fourth down on a Sunday night game, right? Like, you know, it's, again, our myopic viewing of it. But that was Belichick being super aggressive at a time when maybe p- other people weren't doing that. Then maybe that sort of started, you know, they probably didn't. There were other people being aggressive, but in our mind, that started the sort of fourth down aggression right. that we're seeing. And then, like you said, Pat, in typical Belichick fashion, he's digging while everybody else is zagging. Oh, you're all going to go for it on fourth down now. Maybe I won't, you know, maybe I'll punt and play field position here and there because I, I think to the underlying question, it's not a post Brady thing. Like this is, You know, it was 18, 19. There were times when it's like, look, you've got Tom Brady. Why are you taking him off the field? Like, why are you taking your best player off the field? And he was punted in playing field position and relying on his defense. And so, you know, I don't think it's a post-Brady thing. I think it's a Belichick worldview that's somewhat changed while everybody else is going swimming wildly in that other direction. This is Advertiser Content brought to you by Frito-Lay.
1: Just go to fritolaysnackat.sbnation.com.
0: No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends 4 3 Void wherever hit. Here's where the snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons each good for one bag of chess. See official rules at fritolaysnackat.sbnation.com. And I think it's changed a little bit. You mentioned the New York game and them going for it on fourth down. It's not like he's entirely resistant to it. He's just a little bit more conservative than the rest of the league.
1: Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, I'd
0: also, some of that has to do with the confidence in the offense, i guess, too. Look at the last couple of years, I think the offense hasn't been mm-hmm. as good. And I can't really blame the coach for trusting the defense and the special teams more to make plays than the offense with some of the stuff we've seen out there.
1: Right. I mean, they win the Super Bowl in 2018, but that offense was never dominant, right? It was it, never. It was a slog all year long until, you know, late in the season when they decided to become, you know, a, a run first, a run heavy team. And they did that, and you know Sony Michelle scores six touchdowns in three games in in the playoffs. So like you know it was they were primarily a running team to begin with, right? So, um, you know, yeah, you didn't really trust that passing game even when you won the Super Bowl. You didn't really trust that passing game, and so you were relying on that defense. So, you know, I mean it's it's certainly a different type of feel because uh, 2017 they aired it out like crazy. Um, in 2016 they were they were an explosive passing game too. They just really weren't like that in 2018 and certainly haven't been that since. You know? So so anyway, so all right. So offensively we're there. Defensively, listen, you go from having one of the worst defensive performances I've ever seen against the Chicago Bears. I mean, that was just absolutely embarrassing, right? Against the Bears. And it's funny because it it, you know, you're talking uh about about being on a bears podcast and talking about Justin Fields. And it feels like they have gone from fields being terrible to fields being like actually using him correctly and looking awesome. The last few games since the Patriots game, they were like, Oh, maybe we should use him like this because this is where he's best suited. Right. But that was one of the worst performances I've seen of the Patriots defense last few years. They go from that to, you know, what they've done the last two weeks, which has been nothing short of awesome. And, yeah, okay, maybe it was against two bad offenses. But even still, you know, those two offenses have beat some some good teams. I mean, the Jets beat the Bills last week, right? So, um, you know, I think I've been fairly impressed with what I've seen. What what are your takeaways? I know you talked about them a little bit, but what are your takeaways about the defense?
2: Yeah, I mean, the Bears game, I think, was kind of a head-scratcher, obviously. And I think part of that was while they were ready for Justin Fields and his athleticism, I don't think they were ready to see it the way they saw it, you know, because that bears team, you know, they took their mini buy to reevaluate what they were doing on offense, what their offensive identity was. And they, you know, leaned into Justin Fields and his athleticism. He had more designed runs in that game than he had in all the weeks prior, leading up to that game. You know? So I think that was something that was a bit unexpected. And I think Fields made some plays too. And I think, Look, you had an interception early, you had some turnovers that gave them, you know, some decent field position, uh, gave them some favorable situations that certainly played into it as well. You know, but I think for the most part, the defense, that game aside is where you wanted it to be, you know, and and one of the questions coming in to this season was, what were you going to get in the secondary? What were you going to get at the cornerback position opposite, you know, Jonathan Jones? And I think you've seen that Jack Jones and what he's done. I mean, to pick off Aaron Rodgers at Lambeau, that was a huge play. I think he sort of, you know, solidified his role with his team. The pass rush up front is obviously a huge part of that. When you can get pressure with the floor, that's massive for a team. To be able to say right now, headed into the that look, only the Dallas Cowboys pressure the quarterback on a percentage basis more than the New England Patriots. That's huge. And then their, their blitz rate is in the middle of the pack, so they're not relying on the blitz. They can still do it, is is massive. You know, going forward, you're going to get tested a little bit more now, you know, particularly down the stretch here. And if the Justin Fields game, hopefully it wasn't an anomaly because you're going to see some athletic quarterbacks down the stretch. Here. You get Allen twice, you get Kyler, you know, you're going to get some, you get two of one more time. You know, and that offense looks extremely explosive right now. And so this athletic quarterback bugaboo that has been a thorn in this team, this franchise aside, for seemingly years now, that's not going away. And so hopefully they've learned some lessons from that Bears game. But on the most part, I'm not too worried about this defense. I'm not too worried about this team absent that past game identity we were talking about, say, a minute ago.
0: This defense is number one in the NFL in EPA per play as of this week. It's been incredibly good. Um, I guess I think the biggest concern I have with it is just being able to get guys on the field who can play the pass and the run at the same time. They're really good with that at the second level. But in the front seven, it's been, all right, you got and Guy out there for running downs, and you're going to get Equale and Wise or Barmore out there passing situations, swapping out Tavai and Uche for Jennings and all the the Mac Wilson going out there, all these substitutions. Do you have concerns about that if they run into a team that says, we just want to run the ball or we just want to pass the ball or – a team that can get them into bad looks?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's a concern because particularly when you start thinking about some of the offensive coordinators and offensive minds and they're going to see down the stretch. I mean, I'm worried about those two Buffalo games, obviously. Um, right. But look, Ken Dorsey's a smart guy. Like, you know, wouldn't surprise me to see more and more tempo looks thrown at this defense when they get a look they want to operate against, particularly a team like Buffalo that, look, we know they want to throw the ball. What if they decide, look, we're going to trying to run it. Nobody's going to expect that. And then they go temple with that look. Or, you know, when you see the Dolphins in week 17, like what's Mike McDaniel going to do? You know, because he's obviously got some toys, including a new toy at the running back position to play with. And so, you know, that is a concern in my mind, Matt, that, you know, down the stretch, when they see some of these offenses and see some of these play callers that are going to have some ways to sort of, maximize their opportunities against advantageous looks. That is concerning, particularly up front. I mean, I'm not too worried about the secondary in that situation, but it's really up front. Like, oh, they've got their run stuffers on the field. Let's start moving the pocket a little bit. Let's play with a little bit of tempo, wear those guys down, we'll just throw it. Or, oh, they're going light. They're expecting pass. They get their pass rushing. Guys like Barmore in the game. Try to run the ball a little bit. Now, you're looking at the teams they play and the offenses around the NFL right now. Not many complete offenses that can beat you both ways at a very high right. level, and so that you know minimizes the risk a little bit. Like I said, Buffalo is certainly a pass-first offense. You know, Miami maybe has that uh, that ability, but yeah, it's something to be worried about. To and me. That,
0: oh, go ahead, yeah, go ahead, Matt. Uh, I've I've been surprised we haven't seen more no huddle used against the yeah. Patriots. Look at that Bears game. There was a series in that game where the offense went no huddle. I think because yep. of a situation. I think it was a. Uh, Controversial first down calls; they were just hurrying up. Yep. Got Patriots out there in a bad spot and basically got another free ten yards because the personnel that were out there. And yeah, I'm I'm surprised we haven't seen more of that. I'm also surprised we haven't seen more no huddle with the Patriots' offense, which yeah, you also you have to yeah. get first downs before you can run <laughs> right. No, well, no but I
2: mean, I, I I certainly think the point about not seeing more teams use tempo against this Patriots' defense is you know one that I'm surprised by too. And you know, like I said, that's why I sort of talked about some some of the offensive minds they're going to go up against because I'm sure Dorsey's going to think about that. Kevin O'Connell on Thanksgiving night, like it wouldn't surprise me if he's got that ready to go. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if LaFleur after the bye, you know, does some of that, you know, maybe if it's just to try to get Zach Wilson in a better rhythm or something, but it wouldn't surprise me in the second half of the season to see more of opposing offenses using tempo to try to get those advantageous looks. It's a, it's a matchup based game, you know, and if you're not doing that against a team, that is in a situation like this, like New England, then you're probably not doing your job right.
1: I mean, I just, if it's me personally, right, I am worried about it when you talk about the the Bengals and and the Vikings because the Bengals and the Vikings have good running backs that can run the ball well but also catch the ball to the backfield. So I'm concerned about that in that situation because if you don't play heavy against Alvin Cook, he's going to kill you. If you don't play heavy against Joe Mixon, he's going to kill you. Like, it's just the way it is. If I'm going in that Bills game, I don't, I don't care about the run. Right. I go back to, was it 2015 where no Sean Moreno had like 240 yards against them. And they just said, go ahead. You want to run it on every play? Go ahead and run it on every play. Because if you're running on every play, that means that Josh Allen doesn't have the ball in his hands and we'll take that as a win. Right. And so fine. If, if, you know, Devin Singletary is going to run for 190 yards. Great. That gives us the best chance to win because Josh Allen isn't out there making crazy plays. Right. And so, to me I would dare the bills to run go ahead you want to run yeah. go ahead do it you know what yeah. i mean and and that that to me i feel like the bills won't won't take the bait on that cuz they know their best player is Josh Allen right they're smart yeah. enough to realize that so um you know i think that that's that's interesting and, and dark golds asking about the injury he hasn't played the last. he hasn't practiced the last two games i wouldn't be surprised if he missed a game or two seems like it's just a sprain and he should be fine but I guess if it doesn't respond, they, they might take another look at it. But he's not going to be out. He's not going to miss any serious time. It doesn't seem like at least.
0: It's if Josh Allen misses time too, that means that all four starters in the AFC East will have missed at least a game.
1: It's great in a
0: division that where every team is above five hundred too. Yeah, what are the odds of that?
1: It's pretty wild.
0: Pretty wild. Yeah. So yeah. Anyways, hey, we've seen Bills Bills run this defense before against a Bills team. Just go back to the in Super War 25. Bowl twenty five. Yeah, was that the 5-2 the defense they ran or the 2-5? I'm trying to remember. 2-5? Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Against the K-gun there going yep. way back. Yep.
1: yep. Yeah, and,
2: I, you know, he goes into the locker room with, like, Harry Carson and all those guys, Carl Banks, have pride of themselves on stopping the, the run. And he's like, we're going to let Thurman Thomas rush for 100 yards, and they lost their minds. They were like, no, <laughs> you, no, you're, we're not going to let him. He's like, look, this is the best best chance we got to win. Right. Let him run it. Who cares? I mean, it's the same game plan. Come out there with like a 1-3 defensive front. You know, just play with seven defensive backs. Say, hey, look, we're going to dare you to run the football. What are you going to do?
0: Right, right. And would you and would you play a lot of zone defense behind that too, or are you playing man against the Bills this year?
2: I mean, I, you know, I, with Allen, if you're going to do that, I think you do want to play more zone to keep eyes on Allen just because their perhaps best run threat is 17 himself. Right. You know, and if you're now maybe you do a lot of two man under, you know, where you've at least got safeties to keep eyes on them. You know, maybe it's just, you know, man free where you've got somebody underneath that can keep eyes on them and you still can play some man coverage looks. But, you know, I think for the most part, you're going to want to keep eyes on them because Allen has no qualms running the football. You know, and if you're if you're basically, you know, you're bracketing digs, you've got maybe safety helps shade it to Davis and you feel like you've got everything locked down in the secondary And 37 becomes first and town because Allen's run for eight yards. Like, yes, you're, you're going to get out of that at some point anyway.
1: Right.
0: Yeah. And that, that's going to be a huge game. I think for Duggar, Phillips peppers, I think you could throw a Josh Uche in there as a guy who's going to have to pass rush and set the run. And he's got that athleticism to keep up with Allen. You're yeah. going to need all of those guys to really pitch in to stop them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, can you put on your Twitter doctor Head, for for a second here? Uh, Josh Allen now has dealt with UCL injuries twice in the last three or four years. Here, is this something that's like a going to happen to him all the time? Do you think it's something that you know it, it's it's kind of a foreshadowing of something worse is going to happen? I don't know if it's you know some sort of baseball thing where guys have UCL injuries and the next thing you know they blow it out. I I don't know, but it just seems kind of strange, like. Typically, you don't see quarterbacks on the IR or hurt with an elbow injury. And and it's weird that it's happened to him twice. Yeah. You
2: know? I mean, I think the two me- the two injury mechanisms, I think, are a little different because obviously the one on Sunday was more from a hit rather than like strain and overuse or something like that. Um, but you could tell instantly. I mean, I was watching that game, and you could tell instantly. He's like grabbing for it, grabbing yeah. at the elbow, like flexing his hand a little bit. So you could tell he's hurting them all. But then, look, the two plays later, he threw 70 yards on the money. Like, right. so I, I i'm not too worried about it like if he was able to do that and and talking to some bills people they were like look when he had the other ucl like every time he threw it he screamed because it hurt too much like yeah. the fact that he was able to come back i know the play right after he had sort of a comeback route that he one hopped it and i think that was more his feet weren't set you know the 70 yard throw on the final play like didn't seem to really bother him you know he was saying earlier this week they like look you know i'm It's no big deal. I'll be fine. Like, he's got a sleeve on it now. I think that's just sort of for comfort and to keep it sort of tight more than anything else. Um, But I don't think it's like a a pitcher, like you said, Pat. It's like on a verge of UCL, Tommy John situation just because overthrowing. I think this one was more the, like, hit than anything else. And, like, the way it's sort of, like, bent back. Yeah. That's –
1: all right. Well, there you go. So, I guess we don't have to worry about – well, they don't have to worry about it. They don't have
2: to worry about it. We're going to worry about seeing Josh Allen twice, which
1: is – right. Yeah, not, not fun. Yeah, not yeah. fun at all. So um, what do you think the likelihood of of this team making the making the playoffs? Now, obviously, to make the playoffs, you know, now listen, there is a possibility that all four teams in the AFC Beast make the playoffs. That's a possibility. It's not likely, but it is possible. Um, you know, I think the Chargers stink. I, st- I will always believe the Chargers stink. And so, uh, you know, I don't believe in any team in the AFC West outside of Kansas City. The AFC South is absolutely terrible. And the AFC North, right, has
0: the, Ravens ha, and has
1: the Ravens and the Bengals, right? And so you already lost to the Ravens, which is not a good thing. And if you lose to the Bengals, then, then that's that kind of ends that. But if you can pass the Jets now in the AFC East, you could get into the playoffs as the seven seed with only one other, really with only one other uh, wildcard team. I wouldn't be surprised to see three teams in the AFC East make the uh, – Make the playoffs, and I think it could happen, right? They just got to, they got to, they have to beat the Jets this Sunday.
2: Yeah, they got to beat the Jets. I mean, I think the thing that's important to remember is the Jets got a really tough schedule in the second half. I mean, because they get Buffalo again at Buffalo, they got a trip to Minnesota too. And I mean, Minnesota is a team I'm not quite sold on yet. You know, I think we'll know more about Minnesota say in the start of December because they get, you know, I, they get Buffalo this week maybe with Josh Allen, maybe with not. You know, we'll still see there. Obviously, they get the Patriots on Thanksgiving night. Minnesota also gets Dallas, you know, in their next four weeks. They get Buffalo, Dallas, the Patriots, and the Jets. The only team that's good that they've played so far in Minnesota is Philly, and they they lost to them. Um got killed. Yeah. But the Jets, they get Minnesota, that's a road game. They get Buffalo, that's a road game. And they finish the season at Seattle at Miami and back-to-back. Like that's a tough stretch. And so I think the Jets. You know, they've got a tough schedule down the stretch here, which I think is going to work in New England's favor. Obviously, the Patriots have to beat them coming out of the bye. That, that's job one. Uh, but look, they've got to sh- look around the rest of the AFC. I mean, maybe a wild card is is Cleveland in the sense, what does Cleveland look like in week 12 and beyond? Right. You know, and they sort of hang around. Now, I don't know, because they've got some tough games coming up too. Um They've got Tampa Bay. They've got Buffalo. Like, they've got three really tough games coming up where, you know, it could be gone before they get Watson back. Uh, but that's certainly a team to watch. Miami, I think, is very good. And I think they've gotten better since Adam Bradley Chubb because they couldn't pressure the passer the way they were last year. Now they got a guy that they can win some one on ones for them because their blitz schemes weren't working. They weren't pressuring the passer. I think that's going to certainly help them. But yeah, I'm, I'm with you on the Chargers, you know. I fell into the media trap of, oh, this is it. This is the year. Chargers are going right. to be great. That AFC West is going to be awesome. And it's not, you know. And they're so hurt. They're so dinged up. Like, they can maybe bootstrap some wins down the stretch, but I'm not too worried about them. So, yeah, Kansas City, the South, the Titans, and then a whole bunch of Jeff Saturday White situation going on there. That's
1: outrageous.
0: They, uh, so, yeah,
2: yeah, they're they're okay. certainly in it, which at this point in the season is all I can ask for.
0: Yeah, I think the Broncos are potentially also in it. That defense may drag the offense kicking and screaming into the playoffs.
2: Maybe, yeah. It's not likely, but with how bad the team right now, and and I, I gotta say, like I'm not really buying Russell Wilson.
0: So, oh no, no, that's it's been so bad, it's unbelievable. And now now they traded Bradley Chubb. I have much less faith in that defense to actually get the job done. And they've
2: got two games with Kansas City.
0: Yeah, they have to win one of those to keep their hopes yeah. alive. Yeah, just like I think the Patriots probably need to find a way to beat Buffalo in one of those two games. Yeah. I
1: mean, is anyone is anyone in the NFL looking better than P. Carroll right now? Uh, P. Oh, Carroll no. trades away Russell Wilson, brings in Geno Smith. Everyone thinks they're going to suck this year, and that Drew Luck was going to be a starting quarterback. And meanwhile, you know they're competing for the division with Geno Smith at quarterback. And Gino's looking great, you know? And Russ, meanwhile, goes to Denver with all these weapons and looks absolutely horrendous. And, and you know, Nathaniel Hackett, like, who now, knows, guys, but still.
2: blows my mind. It's because, you know, we all wrote and said this summer, oh, this is the start of a rebuild. This is right. the start of the teardown. Right, they're going to have to draft a quarterback. They're going to tank for C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young or whoever. And everybody in the building was like, no, 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 no. No, we believe. Right now, if the draft happened tonight they'd have pick number 11 in the first round in Denver's pick. That's not even there. They'd be picking at 23. Then they'd pick again at 45 with Denver's pick, and then at 56, and then at 87. They have five picks in the first three rounds, two from Denver. They also have the fifth most cap space of any team next year. And if they don't have to draft a quarterback, which sitting here right now, doesn't look like they need to force that. Right. I mean, imagine if I saw some Seahawks guys – um, talking today about Jalen Carter, or Will Anderson, perhaps being on the table for them when they're on the clock.
1: Golly, yeah. Will Anderson could drop out of the top ten. I, I, I we can't get into draft talk right now. But the, no, the fact still that still Will Anderson hard. dropping in the top, dropping out of the top ten, that would be wild. But you know, I
2: don't think he does. I mean, I think he's still top five. But again, Denver's pick is at eleven right now. If the wheels really come off,
1: right? That's a true. top
2: five Pick from the Denver Broncos as That's part outrageous. of the Russell Wilson trade.
1: That'd be unbelievable,
0: yeah. and yeah. and they it already seems like they kind of fixed the offensive line in one go last yeah. offseason I mean, too.
2: Cross and Lucas, they, they look like they got their tackles. Absolutely. Like,
0: yeah. 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 While we're talking offensive line, bringing it back to the Patriots, Ugh. do you have any idea what's going on with this? I mean, obviously Isaiah Wynn, Trent Brown having issues. It's is there hope for this line down the stretch, and can this offense operate at even an average level if the line doesn't figure things out?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's a huge issue. And and, and talking to people sort of around the league about Isaiah Wynn, um, you know, everybody I talk to, whether it's, you know, with NFL teams, different organizations, even people that, you know, were on staffs that went up against him in college, it's all kind of like right now with where he is and what he's doing, he needs dedicated help, you know, wherever he is, whether it's at guard or at tackle, like he needs help. That's not a good thing to be saying about an NFL offensive lineman. Like, you know, in study win this summer, you know, one of the things I noted was speed rushers on the outside just are a problem for him. And it's not so much an athleticism thing because I think he's athletic enough. I just don't – it's it's a, a technique, footwork, something. I, I I don't think it's the length or lack thereof. You remember that discussion and Skarniecki is saying, no, 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 you know – He's long enough. We've had guys with arm length that size that have played Matt Light, all that stuff. But it's just for whatever reason, like you see that the sack from Rashawn Gary, you know, right before halftime against the Packers is like a prime example of his outside edge. Just he gives up speed rushers too easily. And that's tough to live as a tackle. Now, kicking him inside, where sometimes you might, you know, if you slide protection sort of his way, you know, you might get center help from time to time. You know, maybe that works, but you're also then. Just kind of saying, all right, this is what we're gonna do. You know, we're gonna have to slide protection to his way all the time, and tell me a defensive coordinator in the NFL isn't gonna figure that out and how to exploit that pretty quickly. And so, you know, that's an issue. And then by sliding him inside, like, what do you do in a right tackle? Like, it's it's a problem right now. Um,
0: I saw it.
2: It's magnified in the sense that that Mac Jones moves extremely well in the pocket can create space with his feet and with his legs. And he's good at sort of pocket evasion, but you don't want to be in a world where you just know that Mac Jones is going to get pressured a ton, but that's the world that they're living in right now, which again, gets us back to the earlier conversation. What do you want your offensive identity to be? You know, if you want it to be a vertical based seven step drop passing game, is that really the best situation and scheme for your offensive line? You know, maybe it is better to be a spread You know, if you think back to the Cincinnati Bengals, when they couldn't protect Burrow, their answer wasn't let's go under center seven step drop. It was let's go five wide and at least give him a chance to get the ball out quickly by identifying some stuff free snap. You know, and when you watch Jones last year, this year, Sunday, his eyes seem to be working best when he's operating out of spread. Like he right. just seems more comfortable in seeing, reading, and making decisions when he's in the gun, when it's four and five wide. And I think that combined with what you're seeing up front from a pass protection standpoint tells me where your offensive philosophy in the pass game should be. Now, the flip side to that is all right, you're also an under center, inside zone, gap power run scheme. That falls you into the trap of the Bengals of this year, where it was yeah. if Bar was under center, you're running the football. If borrows a gun, you're throwing it. Like
0: yeah, you have a run playbook and a pass playbook, and they're yeah, not related. Yeah.
2: And as we saw the Bengals early in the year, they struggled with that. And so again, a lot of it is sort of the, the core question of what is this pass game going to be? What can it be? You gotta figure that part out.
0: Yeah. I think one of the things I've noticed just going watching Mac this year. He doesn't seem to read the whole field as much as he used to either. It seems like there's a lot of situations where before the snap, he's deciding which half of the field he's going to, and then he's reading a high-low, or he's reading a defender, he's reading man coverage, whatever is over there, and throwing the ball to one of two or three guys. And if that's not there, he's got to check down, and that's it, meaning that defenses kind of know one half of the field might be dead on every one of these plays. Is that something you've noticed too, or...?
2: I mean, I've noticed it in the sense that, like, like Dan Orlovsky had that video from this week where it was that third and four play, and you've got the three-by-one, you know, a bunch look to the right, the X iso go route on the left, and Jones locked on to that go route. The spot on the spot concept, the three-receiver concept, the spot route was open. But Jones kind of locked on, and like you said, sort of predetermined, like, that's where he wanted to go with the football. You know, when I was playing, when I'm coaching and you get that three by one, you get that isolated go. We called it a peak, a quick look like you look at it quickly. If you like it, throw it. If not, you're going to come off and get to the concept. You look back to the Baltimore game through the first two and a half quarters of that Baltimore game. I was like, this is the Mac I wanted to see. This is the Mac I've been waiting for. But then he started to fall into this trap of I've got an isolated go route to Devontae Parker. I've got this route that I want to throw. And he stayed on them a little bit too long. You know, a lot of concepts they are sort of, you know, half-field reads in a sense. Like, dependent on, like again, to you, Cincinnati. I've got there's a Zach Taylor playbook like right here that I was reading the other day. I mean, you've got a lot of concepts that are, you know, man zone reads where it's like, okay, it's man you're reading this side, it's zone you're reading this side. Like, right. you don't have to know the difference. Cover six, seven, stubby, stump, all that stuff. It's just if it's man you're reading this side, if it's zone you're reading this side. So there are a lot of plays, and even in New England's playbook, which is just out, out of my reach, where it's like, yeah, if it's zoned, you've got your half field to read. If it's man, you've got your half field to read. And there are other kinds of half field reads, you know, middle field open, middle field close, things like that. You know, so the fact that there are times where he's locking onto one side of the field, that doesn't trouble me. What troubles me more are the moments like that play that Orlovsky highlighted, whereas he's isolated on one receiver, his initial read, and he's slow to come off of that. And that's sort of, you know, the, the, the concern that I have with part of his game right now is there are moments when he's locking on to a read or to a route and he's slow to come off of that and he's missing opportunities elsewhere. Are there things that Patricia and Judge can be doing to help him out? Like, sure. Like some of the spacing on their concept seems to be wildly off. Like, you know, some of the concepts seem to like be breaking later than perhaps this line is able to protect Jones for. You know, which again, gets us back to the offensive philosophy, but are there also moments where Jones is like, either locking onto a receiver or a route and it's slow to come off of that? Absolutely.
0: Right. And I think there's, there's issues there too, and that there's no easy buttons like this. No this offense can't really execute screens all that well this year. Um, a lot of their running game stuff is still hit or miss. So. There's never a play where it's all right. We're going to hit one or two easy buttons. We're going to be at the fifty-yard line, and now we can get into something more advanced. That's yeah. you're doing that from your own twenty twenty-five.
2: Yeah, yeah. No, that's exactly right. That's exactly right.
1: And you know, I think part of it now. I'm curious what you think because right, the team keeps saying, "Oh, they did the same offense with Zappy and with Mac Jones." I just think it's it looks like two totally different offenses to me. And what's driving me nuts and what I keep seeing is, you know, those 15-yard in-routes. And I'm just like, what are we doing? Like, what are you – you can't protect that. You have shown all year long you can't protect that. And you keep running those plays. And yet when Zappi was in there, it was three steps and it's out, right? And that's where Mack was so good last year. It's like, hey, he sees the field, reads it, three steps, boom, it's gone. You know, and like – you know, and look – I think we got to lay part of the blame on Mac Jones for sure because, as you said, he stays on guys a little too long. He's stared guys down at times. He's made really questionable decisions at times. Um, that the, the interception in the Bears game was just absolutely horrendous. It was just an yeah. awful throw and an awful decision. Um, but at the same time, I feel like if we see more of what we saw when Bailey Zappi was quarterback, I think that you know the Patriots would be a lot better off, and that Mac would be a lot better off. We'd be seeing a lot better from him than we've seen from him now, and it's it's frustrating to watch because you know it's there. They called it with Zappi, even when even in the Bears game, they you're calling stuff with Mac, and then all of a sudden Zappi comes in, and you're like, wait a second, where were these plays when Mac was out there? It's just like yeah. it, it's it's driving me crazy a little bit, you know? Yeah, I mean, I
2: you know, in part of it might be. Look, obviously, when you're getting Bailey Zappi ready to start, when you're getting Bailey Zappi ready to play, you know, you're still working from a smaller portion of the playbook. It's more your like day one and two install stuff, which is probably the stuff you're calling for more when he got reps. And with Jones, you've got obviously a deeper playbook to work from. But at the same time, like your job is, like you said, Pat, like you were saying earlier, Matt, like your job is to put the quarterback, whoever he is, in a position to be successful. And, you know, the one thing that I'm, excited to see is like the uptick in RPO usage. You know, I, I think, and that's something I'd like to see even more of, you know, because when you look back at Mac, even in college at Alabama, like heavy RPO offense, like top 10 in RPO is last year at Alabama. And it wasn't, you know, we always say like RPOs and play action, like especially in New England, but generally speaking, specifically with RPOs, it's all underneath slants and glances like there are third level RPOs like you can still be aggressive in the downfield passing game if that's what you're looking for working off of RPO structures or certainly off of play action structures but I do think they need to use that more because you know Jones to this point is eight of nine on RPO throws this year I mean again it's not a ton it's not a big number but they've been using it more and more particularly the last couple of weeks and I'd like to see more of that.
0: When it seems like when they go to the RPO, at least to what I could tell, they're just counting men in the box to decide yeah. if it's a man or a run. There's not; it's not more complex than that, uh, and which means they're running a lot because they're going against light boxes. But they're still not able to block for it, which I think is also kind of an issue there. The RPO isn't as good if you only have the the P and not the R.
2: Right. Yeah. I mean, it's it's certainly kind of. Remove some – and, again, like, defenses are doing so much to try to get you to make it the R, right? Like, defensive coordinators are going to play with light boxes. They're going to do things like sling the fits and things like that to sort of get into the fits if they have to. They'll find ways to get it out of too high structures to get things fitted up as well. But they want to turn you into a spectator if you're a quarterback. It's like we were just talking about with Josh Allen. Like, that's what defensive coordinators – at the NFL level, at the NCAA level, at the high school level. You know, my buddy is a high school football coach, and he's getting ready for the playoffs. And he's like, every week we're turning high school quarterbacks into spectators because we don't want them to throw the ball, which, again, to my old brain sounds just wildly crazy. But that's <laughs> yeah. the world we're living in. And so, you know, you've got to figure out, you know, how to attack these two high structures, even off of, say, RPO looks.
0: Right. And I, th- well, I think it's difficult. Just if you look around the NFL this year, what the average number of points per game for a team is something like 21, 22 this year. I mean, mean, it's hard for everybody. It's not just- It's hard for everybody.
2: Explosive plays are down. Like, numbers are down. You look around the league, like, you know, a couple of years ago, you're looking at quarterbacks, right? And best quarterback in the league might have an adjusted net yards per attempt, like near 10. Right now, two is the only one over eight adjusted net yards per attempt. And, you know, he's at 9.28, which is incredible. But Jalen Hurts is second at 7.91. You know, everything is down league-wide because of the too high world that we're living in because defenses are just so comfortable right now saying we're going to play with a box, we're going to play too deep, we're going to force you to be patient and work underneath and try to take everything away over the top. Some right. offenses have still figured out how to be explosive. Miami is certainly an example. Buffalo is an example. But not every other team has figured that out yet.
0: Right. Or have the playmakers to do it, you know,
2: or have the playmakers to do it. Exactly.
0: Right. Right. Hopefully uh Tyquan Thornton can be that guy.
2: Yeah. I mean, th- that's kind of why you drafted him, you know, and right. if he yeah. ends up being that guy, then, you know, it's, it'd be great if they figured out that outside receiver position, in the draft at some point while I'm alive. Yeah. I
1: mean, <laughs> and you can see defenses, right. I mean, you know, Hunter Henry down the seam is wide open because that safety has to commit to Taekwondo Thornton. he has to, he has too much speed. He can beat that guy one-on-one. So that safety has to shade over there and it leaves that big gap in the middle of the field for Hunter Henry. They just have to do that more often. And then that safety is going to have to think twice about taking Taekwondo and that's when you take the shot to Thornton, right? So it's just yeah. they all play off each other, but you have to run that play more often in order for, in order to hit it, you know?
0: Yeah. 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 Now, while we're talking about the identity of the offense, I want to go back to the run game for a second, because I only just picked up on this watching some of the Colts stuff. They obviously don't bring Jakob Johnson back. There's no fullback on this roster this year. Their two biggest runs against the Colts came when they had either Johnny Smith or Hunter Henry lined up in the backfield. Doing that little guys, what do you make of them kind of going away from the fullback and now maybe just coming back to it with tight ends?
2: I kind of expected it, to be honest. I mean, in, in talking, you know, on some other shows this summer, you know, when that came up, like, hey, they got rid of the fullback, what, what do you think? I'm like, if they realize that, like, that component to their run game is critical, they're going to use Hunter Henry or John Smith in that sort of up-back, H-back type of role. Um, and like you said, like, two of their best runs against Indianapolis came out of that kind of look. And I think it's also important because when they added Smith and Henry, the idea was you're going to put stress on defenses with 12 personnel. Like that's what you're going to do. You're going to force them to decide how are we going to treat these two guys. There's perhaps a window here to do more of that and use one of them in that sort of H back role. And so it wouldn't surprise me if coming out of the bye we see even more of that. Uh, But I always think this was kind of in the back of their mind, like, okay, we're going to move away from a dedicated fullback, but we've got this card we can play in the back of our mind. If we feel like we've got to get back to these looks with, you know, lead plays. You know, some of the wham type stuff. You know, some of the crunch type stuff that we've seen them and other teams run using one of those guys in that role.
1: Yeah, and i I like the I like the idea of using a guy like John in the backfield because, you know, he is able to lead block if you want him to, but he also has the ability to catch the ball out of the backfield and be explosive with the ball yeah, in the same. Good. So if you if you also you know, want to
2: – you know, talk about the screen game, right? Like that has been very hit or miss for this team. One of their biggest plays was a tight end screen last week. And if you're doing that, yeah, that was more out of a win alignment. I believe it was on that play, but like you could do it obviously from an H back alignment, you could show some different change-ups to defenses. And so, you know, self-scouting, right? Like you you run the ball a ton out of that look, defenses get ready for it. They're expecting that. And then you go play action, but set up sort of a screen, to the H backslash tight end out of that look, that makes a ton of sense to me.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's just finding ways to get yards, to get easy yards, right. Yeah. Like We don't need to, I just feel like everything is such a struggle for them right now. Yeah. And it's seeing Ramondre break three tackles at the line of scrimmage and still pick up four yards and, you know, and, and seeing Mac make a, you know, five yard pass over the middle, but then not be able to complete the 12 yard pass. for, you know, like, it's just so slow to get down the field and then you get into you know into the red zone or you know the 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 deep red zone right which is the, what someone called it, the green zone or something like that right mm-hmm. so it's like you get that that you know 40 yard and in and it's like you can't move the drive just stalls out and then Nick Folk has to come in and kick a field goal and thank god he's been automatic all year yeah. but like you just you can't score freaking touchdowns i mean you scored the last two games you've won the last two games you scored one offensive touchdown like right i mean it's just like you know outside of i'm sorry outside of a of a of a three-yard drive right you've scored right. one real offense.
2: basically gifted a touchdown yeah right. i mean it's it, it's not great i mean to think about you know red zone percentages and converting red zone plays into touchdowns they're 29th in the league right now yeah like that's not a good spot to be in when you're behind the Pittsburgh Steelers in an offensive statistic this year. That's not a good place to be.
0: Yeah, not ideal. And it's—I mean, this is why you go out and you get all those, all those tight ends and Devontae Parker is in theories you can do that red zone stuff, and it's just it's not there. And no. I mean, it also kind of feels like the offense runs out of gas too. Like, and that's no. what makes and, it hard. And, and, and in fun.
2: a way that's the world we're living in right because right. you know part of the whole too high stuff is we're to force offenses to put together 10 12 14 play drives to like finish drives to be perfect to be patient this is this is the sort of offshoot of that as an offense you've got to figure out ways to keep those drives alive to finish those drives with touchdowns cuz that's what the world that's the game right, right now
1: yeah yep so so we'll see. I mean, you know, they got a long way to go. I still think the offensive line, um, I do want to actually, before before we leave this discussion, I do want to ask you about Cole Strange because Cole Strange was playing like an animal the first few weeks of the season, and all of a sudden, you know, he just he can't play. He's just – he's been benched twice for Isaiah Wynn in the last two games. And, you know, I, I think the argument can be made that David Andrews has a big part in that, right? But yeah. – do you, how well do you feel about your first round rookie if he can only play well when David Andrews is next to him at center? I just like—I don't know how I feel about that.
2: Yeah, I mean, at the same time, I you know, there's a part of me that wonders if there's an early rookie wall coming into right. play here. You know, obviously, you know, and I say this all the time, like the NFL draft is the world's longest and strangest and most absurd job interview. You know, right. because Cole Strange really made a name for himself January at the Senior Bowl down in Mobile. Um, You know, where he's moving around, move to center, move around a little bit. Um, And it's basically a sprint to the draft. And then suddenly you're in your first NFL rookie minicamp. Um, So I wonder if there's like an early wall set it in, you know, and I I, like the point about Andrews and needing some help and guidance. Like, I think, you know, that's a valid point. You know, I think you would need that for any sort of rookie. And so whether he was a first round pick or a seventh round pick, like you're going to need some help from a veteran next to you. Certainly a guy in David Andrews that is like the cornerstone you know, shot caller of the offensive line. Um, so I'm not like overly worried about Strange. I thought, like you said, he was killing people up until a couple weeks ago. Um, so that makes me think it's more of a wall thing than anything else. But yeah, so I'm not worried about him long-term, but short-term it's a concern just as is basically this, this entire offensive line almost.
0: It makes you wish that they still had uh, Ted Karras. I think kind of that super backup, super utility guy on the inside, I think. Having him around probably helps you, and then you can feel more comfortable maybe uh, moving a Wenu to tackle if you need to. Yeah. yeah.
1: He's playing pretty well in Cincinnati. I mean, he's not lighting the world on fire, but he's playing pretty well in Cincinnati, yeah. I think. So,
0: Pr- pretty um, well would probably make him the second or third best offensive lineman on the Patriots would. right now. That's so. true. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. It's been, uh, it's been ugly. You know, and so they'll be drafting. You got to assume that with one of these top picks, they'll be drafting another tackle. Um, yeah, Isaiah wins not with, coming back. You know, so
0: and with with the age of Andrews too. I mean, there might be three new starters on this offensive line next year, depending on what they decide to do.
1: Yeah, yeah, which would be tough. So, anyways, all right. So I think I think we've we've really touched on a lot of different things here. Um, big picture now, do you think? And I know I, I kind of we danced around it a little bit. Do you think they're able to do you think where do you think they finish the season at? And do you think they make the playoffs?
2: I think they make the playoffs. I think they sneak in as a seven, you know, and then they're probably one and done. Um, but I think they get in just because they've answered two of the three big questions. And I, I, I still believe and have hope that they'll figure out sort of a a pass game identity down the stretch. You know, I, I think, you know, like the Jets with the schedule that they have, I think the Jets will fade a little bit. Although to their credit, I think the Jets have had an incredible season so far. And the fact that they're kind of ahead of schedule, because I mean, I remember talking about Jets with you guys like over the summer after the draft. It was like, yeah, I love what they did. They're like a year away, but, you know, next year and beyond, they're going to be dangerous. So I think the Jets are really ahead of schedule, which is impressive. Uh, But I do think they'll probably fade. I think the Patriots sneak in, um, but I, I still think they have this big question to answer about their passing
1: game. Right. And I think, I think that that the big question for me is Mac Jones, the guy, I think that that's something you have to figure out. And maybe they're opening the, maybe they're changing, you know, maybe the, the passing game looks different with Mac Jones because they're trying to figure out whether he's the guy or not, whether they, he can do the things that they want him to do in order for this offense to run well. Uh, yeah. and. You know, if that's the case, then he's not answering those questions. Uh, While well, he is, but not not in a good way. You know. remember,
2: like, as of two weeks ago, Justin Fields was a bust. right? Like,
1: yep.
2: I, I always remind people, development not linear at the quarterback right. position. Like, there's going to be ups right. and downs. And I do think the fact that Mac is in his like third offense in three years. You know, if you count last year with McDaniel's, yep. two years prior at Alabama, and now this system, like. There's some change and some upheaval. So what we're seeing right now may not be anything close to a finished product. Um, But look, we're in the middle of year two. Year three is when you're supposed to have put it together and figured it all out. We're in the middle of year two. Like we got to start, you know, seeing some improvement here, seeing some consistency here, seeing better numbers against pressure than we have so far this year. I mean, those are questions that Mac needs to answer more than anybody
1: else. Right. Yep. Couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. And I said before the season, nine and eight, ten and seven, somewhere around that area. And yeah. I still think that they, they're they right on track to do that again. Um, you know, maybe they don't get the ten and seven, but I think nine and eight gets you in, in the AFC this year. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think and that's enough off. to push them in. You know? Yeah.
0: It, and if they make the playoffs, they're going to earn it with the teams they play down the stretch here. Sure, mean, sure. You have to go out west and get a couple of road wins. They're going to have yeah. to beat division rivals at home, possibly the Bengals, like if they make it, they will have earned it. And yep. that means yep. that you probably saw a little improvement from this team down the stretch. Yeah.
1: Agreed. Agreed. Certainly could help them at the end of the year. You know, playing Miami at home, I think, is good because Miami typically stinks in the cold, which is good. I also um, I also think that last Bills game could be helpful. If the Bills are locked into the one or even the two spot and they can't improve anything by winning that game, then they might try to rest some guys, especially if they're locked into the two spot.
2: Yeah. They, they might say, you
1: know what? Why are we gonna put Josh Allen out there if we can't get the bye anyways? We'll yeah. give him we'll give him a bye week this week. And if we lose, we lose. Who cares? You know, and so um that could be a situation where that could benefit the Patriots, you know, because of the situation that the Bills are in that last game of the season.
2: Yeah, and yeah, you know, they do have the back to back games on the West Coast, but you imagine that's sort of a you know, road trip situation where they stay out yeah. there. Oh, yeah. Arizona, yeah. I don't know what's going on out there. I don't know if Cliff will even be coaching. You know, by the time that game right. and the wheels have come off with the Raiders, um, you know, they're sidelining guys. Waller's on IR. Um, so those two games. Yeah, there was Renfro's games.
0: on IR, too. Right.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think those games are certainly winnable games. And like you said, like you were just saying, Pat, you know, Buffalo in week 18. If they're just the two, you know, we're probably not going to see Josh Allen because they're going to want to rest them for the following week.
0: Right. Which might then be in Buffalo against the Patriots, depending on how things go.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's true. the other thing, too. Like, if there's a scenario where Buffalo is like, we can pick our opponent by losing.
0: Right. It could happen. Yep. and Very true. And also, with that win they have over KC, they might just be the one seed and that's it. Yeah. Right.
2: Right. In which Very case, you probably see those guys for a quarter or so, but yeah. they're not going to play the whole way.
0: Right, exactly, no. and so, you should win that game if that's the case. If you're yeah. losing under under those circumstances, if you're losing the case, keep him
2: in that situation in a winning get in kind of moment,
0: right? You then you don't deserve, deserve to be in. Players. Exactly,
1: yeah. exactly. So, all right, let's get to let's get to MVPs uh, first half MVPs, uh, and we could talk about a guy that surprised us if, if you'd like as well. Maybe a surprise and a disappointment. Uh, I don't even. You know what? I don't want to get a disappointment. Maybe we can. Maybe we can do a good surprise as opposed to a bad thing. Uh but. Your first half MVP mark, then we'll go Matt, and then and then I'll finish up. Uh
2: yeah, I mean it's 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 Judon. I mean, I I, I get the easy, sort of chalky answer here, but you know, the, the way he's been playing now. The thing is, and I've seen some questions about this, allusions to this. He did this last year, right? Right. Great start. First half of the season was fantastic. So we've faded a little bit down the stretch. Now Part of that was def- was offensive saying, "Look, we're going to double this guy. We're going to chip this guy. We're going to make life for him a in hell off the edge." I think what's been huge for this team this year, and we've talked about it already, Josh UJ the three sacks last week, Decker Wise and what he's been doing. Like now, it's a situation where it's more of a pick your poison. If you're the opposing offensive coordinator, it's like, yeah, you, you can make life a living hell for Matthew Judon. You're going to have some problems to deal with as a result with the other options that they have. And so, even if he slows down and doesn't put up the kind of numbers he has in the first half of the season. I think it's still going to be a productive year down the stretch because he'll have created opportunities for guys that will finish plays. And so, you know, I I know there's been some concern, like does he have a second half swoon like he did last year? I think even if he doesn't put up the numbers that he did in the first half, the production from this defense will be there because of some of the other guys that are able to win opposite from him this year.
1: I think they also started out by not playing him a ton. And they played him a lot, but but not playing him on every single play – and you know, rotating those guys in and out and having the ability to do that because That's you're true. getting play from Penny Jennings, because you're getting plays from Ushe, because you're you know, like having those things is extremely beneficial to him because now he's not burnt out by the end of the year because you know, you haven't you haven't used all the all the gas in the tank. So but yeah, I mean two done. Come on now.
0: Yeah, hey, yeah. Chalky, I know. Yeah. yeah, he's the obvious pick, just to be different. I'm going Ramondre here. He has really been the offense as of late. He's been just so good. He may have almost single-handedly won you that game against the Jets with some of his performances there. He was really good last week against the Colts. He, I mean, he's it's, he and Myers are the offense right now, and Ramondre looks like he has the makings of potentially an elite running back in the NFL. So I'm going with him there. Dark blue gold loves it.
1: I mean, it's it's the right it's the right call. It's the right call. <laughs> um however i am also going to be different i am also going to be different and i am going to go with the one and only nick folk uh you talk about being the offense nick yeah. folk literally is the offense literally. uh you know he he has just been an absolute monster uh twice this season has has begun 5 for 5 on field goals kicking the, is 9 for 9 in the last two games uh in field goals and so he just i mean what else can you say i mean the guy just you know i wouldn't be surprised if i wouldn't be surprised if he has you know close to 50% of the points of the offensive that the offense has scored so far so uh he just he's been he's been unbelievable so and again without folk they're who knows how many games they would have won without nick folk so
0: yeah, he has he has 77 of the team's 203 points this year
1: there you go There you go. So, not quite half, but pretty darn close to half. Pretty darn close. (laughs) That's unbelievable. So, um, all right. How about a surprise, Mark? A a good surprise, not a bad surprise. We've talked about some disappointments already. So, let's keep it on the positive side here. Jack Jones.
2: I mean, we're talking about a guy, two picks, three pass breakups, NFL pass rating of 49.4 when targeted, according to PFF, which is – I mean again that's that's skewed a little bit because of the way PFF does their charting but still that's a really impressive number for a rookie corner that like has seen a lot of action like just yeah. 11 snaps the first week but you're talking about a guy that has started a game that has you know played a lot past couple of weeks like 40 50 you know 46 snaps a game so I've been really surprised how quickly he's adjusted and acclimated to life as an NFL corner.
0: Love okay. it. He, that that's the kind of the obvious answer here. I think all of these guys are going to be on defense. That's my yeah. guess. Yeah. Um, I'm going with Josh Uche, which is a little bit of recency bias after what we saw. I've been a, I've been a huge Josh Uche fan though for a while as a Michigan guy. I um, he looks like the pass rushing numbers are what jumps off the page. But what I'm more impressed with is that he looks just more disciplined as a player, like against the run. He's yeah. He's, he's got his eyes go in the right direction more of the time. And, that's just that's what's going to get him on the field more, which is what he needs. His pass rushing ability has never really been in doubt. It's just his ability to get out there. So I'm glad he's putting it together in other ways right now.
1: I like it. I like it. Uh, I have a few options here. I could go Dietrich Wise. I could go Jabril Peppers. I could even go Brandon Schooler, uh, who's been like Matthew Slater 2.0. However, however, I'm going to go because I have to do it. I'm going to go with July and Divye. I have to do it. I, I talk shit about July and Divye all off all offseason. I just said I don't know why he's on this team. What the hell is going on? If he makes this team, I'm gonna be so mad. And he's the, turned into a reliable player. He's not a great player, not a great player, but he's a reliable guy. Plays the run extremely well. Dependable player. Uh, you know, he's like the perfect patriot guy because that's what he does. That's what he does. Um, you know, he, he's just dependable and reliable. I mean, that, that that's like. The, the two things that Belichick looks for the most yep. is do, uh, you're going to do the right thing if I put you out there, and he doesn't. And so, you know, I gotta, uh, I'm got off the hate train 100%. He's off the hate train, and, uh, <laughs> and you know, he's, he's so just he's you a star player for him.
0: You know who else falls into that category, too, is uh, Anthony Jennings. Mm-hmm. Talk about a surprise. I, uh, excuse, the guy me? Who had, excuse me? Penny Jennings. Thank you. Thank there you. <laughs> you as, as a guy we all thought was probably – a cut. I, I, I think a lot of people thought he wasn't going to make the last round of roster cuts, like and yeah. here he is giving you real minutes, quality minutes. So,
1: yep, agreed, agreed. So, Trivia so talk. wasn't that's that's it, right? That's that's the Patriots talk we got. I think, right? Yeah, uh Any
0: more Toto talk before we wrap up?
2: No, no more Toto talk. Me. Although, look, I forgot. Stranger <laughs> in Town was that song I was trying to think of. Ah, uh,
1: yes, there you go. Yeah. Okay, all right. I'll uh, pretend like I know what that is. Also, Dark, dark, dark Google Yeah, you can go. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, asked about asked about Newcastle. Are you a Newcastle fan? That's what he wants I am. Add. And,
2: okay. hey, Newcastle is sending two players to the World Cup, which is very exciting. The team is off to a very good start. Excited about that. Um, I, I know there's another aspect to being a Newcastle supporter right now, which is a little bit difficult, the uh, the new ownership group, so we can kind of breeze by that. But, look, hey, it's, it's happy time. I haven't been this happy about a Newcastle team since Passports with Pardew. Which is, I was like two houses for me ago.
0: So yeah,
1: I don't know what that means, but sure. Uh, <laughs> also, Dark Blue Gold says three players are going to the to the World Cup. Is apparently. It not I just it was two. I listen. Pope, I Trivier
0: Wilson.
2: Oh, three. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There I, you go. I, I knew. Uh, know what it was? It's second. Is they're tied for second most in the Premier League. That's what was in my right. head. Yeah.
1: All right. I'm just gonna smile, smile and nod during the, during go, the That's the session. other
0: football right there. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, exactly. All right. Final segment of the uh, of the day. Marks, come prepared. Here we go. And now for something we think you'll really like: this week in sports history. All right, uh, I'm going to start because I have a few. I have a few. I'm going to start. Um, so on November 12th, 1933, the first NFL football game on a Sunday is played in Philadelphia sporting events at that up to that point had been illegal to play on Sunday and the Eagles tied the Chicago Bears 3-3 just an absolute just a dreadful game to watch all around a tie a 3-3 tie but the first ever NFL game on uh, played on a Sunday November
0: 12 1933 wow
2: let's go way back wait, right? go next if
0: you want me to go i'll I'll let you you're the guest I'll let you go all right.
2: All right. I, I will go on November 10th. We were recording this on November 10th. In 1934, the first NHL penalty shot was awarded, and it was actually stopped. And the first NHL penalty shot was awarded in a game between the Montreal Canadiens and the Toronto Maple Leafs. Montreal forward Armand Mondou had his shot, his penalty shot attempt, stopped by to- Toronto goaltender George Hainsworth to help preserve a 2 1 win for
0: the Leafs. Love it. Love it. It's a good one. I'm going a lot more recent. I'm just going Patriots history here. Sunday, November eleventh, two 2001. Patriots beat the Bills 21-11. I don't think there was anything particularly notable about this one other than that there was just not a lot of offense here. Patriots won with 205 yards total. Brady had 107 yards passing and was sacked seven times for 36 yards Jesus. that day.
1: Was that in Buffalo or in New England?
0: Uh, this was in New England. That was the year. Okay. Like, the game in Buffalo that year went to OT. It was, uh, it was a big storm that was then, that too. was the
1: electricity game. It's one of my favorite plays of all time. When David Patton got knocked out cold, fumbled, and but half of his body was out of bounds, right. and so the ball was touching his leg, so therefore the ball is out of bounds. It's one of my favorite <laughs> calls of all time. So, but I thought that was later in the year too. So, but anyways, all right. I'm gonna. Do you have another one, Mark, or do you I only have more? Yeah. All right, go because I got one more too.
2: All right, November 9th, 1953, the Supreme Court case of Toulson versus New York Yankees upheld baseball's antitrust exemption.
1: Love it. Look at that. Oh my goodness. It All does. right, I'm gonna end I'm gonna end with a Bill Belichick one. Bill Belichick, uh, as a as a rookie head coach of the Cleveland Browns, watched Bernie Kozar end his NFL record. 308 passes without an interception, uh, by throwing an interception on November 10th, 1991. Wow. Wow. So, so there you go. There you go. So, uh, all right, Mark. This is a lot of fun. This is a lot of fun. Uh, listen, the people that are listening here, they know you. They know where to find you. But nevertheless, give the whole cavalcade of, of things. And uh, see, yeah, yeah, I see I threw that in there. Threw it in you there. had to the Cavalcade of from, from really under. Like
2: throwback. But there's no cavalcade anymore. It's just SB Nation. Um, like I said, look, I, I, I'm dropping a piece on Friday morning about tech ball. Um, the, the sport with the soccer and ping pong and stuff like that. But look, while we still have the bird app, you can follow me on there at Mark Schofield. Uh, when the bird are you still there, verified? I am still verified. I, I love how the new verification system, it says that like, I w- I am verified as a result of, and I need to find the language here. Cause if, I just laugh when I see it. This account is verified because it's notable in government news, entertainment, or other designated category. I'm like, are you talking about it's me? Notable? notable? What? <laughs>
1: Absolutely. But yeah. I, I
2: still have the blue check for now. Um, who knows if the bird app will be here by the time this pod goes live? Uh, maybe it will, maybe it won't, but you can follow me for now on the bird app at Mark Schofield.
1: Love it, love it. Well, thanks for coming on, Mark. We always love having you, and uh, we appreciate it. And we'd love to see you doing big things over there at Espionation. It's great, it's great to see. I'll be so, back
2: soon, though. I'll be back yeah. soon, unless you guys don't want me, but
1: uh, oh, yeah. Uh, oh, anytime, anytime.
2: anytime.
1: So We love it. Well, thanks for listening, guys. We appreciate it. And uh, no, no instant reaction this weekend, of course, with the bye week. But we'll talk to you. We'll talk to you mid next week.